to speak to us. Father, we love you. We are grateful that we can come before you. We can come before you with heavy hearts. We can come before you with glad hearts. You hear us. You know us. You know the things going on in our lives that nobody else knows. You know our hearts and what's happening there as we talk about that today. Father, I do pray for the Bennett family. I pray for Sherry. And I lift her up to you right now, God, as someone who is, is ailing, someone who is battling this disease. Lord, I, I pray that you will bring healing, that you will promote healing within her body, Father God. Lord, I pray that over the course of the next couple of weeks that she will be able to eat and, and she'll be able to rest, not just sleep, but rest. Father, I pray that the treatments moving forward will, will work. Now, we know that, that you are the, the author of life. We know that you have our days when we're coming into this world and when we're going out of it. And we know that you're sovereign. And I pray, God, that those facts alone give us peace no matter the circumstances. God, right now, we turn to your word once again as we do. Father, I pray that we hear directly from you as you are the only teacher. Your spirit is the only teacher in this room. So let us hear from you as we talk about one of the most influential characters in the Bible. May your word meet us where we are today, God. We love you. We come before you and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so again, we are, if you, as you can tell, uh, we're starting a new series. I'm grateful for the, the men who came and, and filled this teaching spot every Sunday uh, for the past three weeks. I heard a lot of good things about each and every one of them. Uh, I, I love these men and, and what God is doing in their life. Uh, Matt shared his story with you, and we're certainly not going to revisit that, but to, to see him raised up as a teenager to become an engineer and to see how God's moving in his life uh, to, to step into ministry is phenomenal. Uh, the work that, that I get to hang out with Ephraim, right, and I get to, I get to spend the day a week with him, and, and he's, just, he's, a, he's a great boss. He's a man of humility. He loves the Lord, and I'm grateful that he was able to come and share with you. And then, of course, Perry, and the work that, that this partner of ours, who's on a college campus, I mean, that's, that's frontline stuff. Even though it's Auburn and even though that's God's country, that, that is still frontline work that has, to be, that has to be done. And so grateful for Perry and his willingness to, to come and, and uh, to share with you the work that's going on there. And, and I told him, I said, hey, we're coming. We're, we're, we're meeting needs. We want to come down next year and we want to meet needs. And I said, so whatever it is, you dream it up, you pray about it, and you let us know, and if it's only cooking, look here, we're going to give them more than some chicken nuggets, all right? We'll take a team down there, we're going to cook them a good, a good meal. And, and I know Bob and Dee have gone before, and Caleb has gone before, and we've had a few others that have gone before. I'm telling you, 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 you want to have an impact on some college students, feed them something good. You know, they get to break the cycle of pizza and spaghetti and SpaghettiOs and chicken nuggets, hey, you have their attention, and so we'll be doing that, and I'm grateful for these men and their willingness to come up here and, and share and the opportunities that we have in the future. But now, David, 
We're here. And this guy is one of the most influential Bible characters. We're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at the life of David. And, and the front half of our life group material next year is, is going to go do a deeper dive than what we're going to do here uh, on Sunday mornings. We're going to spend 12 weeks looking at his life next life group uh, semester. David, as you know, he's a guy who wrote some of the most beautiful poems of praise. We read quite possibly the most popular one this morning. This is a guy that would sit down and he would pin these majestic words and then he'd go kill somebody in the name of honoring the Lord. He killed thousands of men in battle. He slayed giants, and we're going we're gonna to look at that for sure next week. But he also murdered people. He also let the flesh take over. He, he, he let the eyes wander, committed adultery. He lied about it. But this is also the guy who's responsible for establishing Jerusalem for God's temple to be built by his son. He was a shepherd, a lowly shepherd, who would go on to become the third king of Israel. Don't be Googling that. But I'm right. And you don't know about it. He's the third king of Israel. And he is known for being a man after God's own heart. You know, the Bible is full of stories of very influential people. Uh, all have a part to play in, in God's story. Uh, some more than others, right? Like we hear of Joseph, the, the earthly father of Jesus. Like he, he just gets a couple of mentions. And this, I mean, here's a guy that, I mean, brought, you know, he's there when the Savior of the world is coming into this earth. He's there. We hear about him. Uh, we, we hear about Peter and we hear about Paul. We hear about all these stories, Rahab, all these people. There's a lot of influential people that have made their way into God's story. Abraham, one of the most influential people. He's talked about in 14 chapters and then mentioned a handful of times throughout. 14 chapters. Jacob mentioned 14 chapters. Elijah, the greatest prophet of Old Testament, 10 chapters. This isn't good. What's happening? I don't know why that's going off. That's not good. David has 66 passages of Scripture. And his name is mentioned over 1,100 times in the Bible. For our series that we'll be on the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at First and Second Samuel, which wasn't originally First and Second Samuel, but because of the length, the Bible translators cut it in half and they, they made it two separate parts. We're going to camp out in First and Second Samuel, and then we're going to look at some of the Psalms that David wrote. And so to start our story with David, you're going to need to turn eventually, we'll get there in just a minute, to 1 Samuel chapter 16, but, but let me quickly give you verse chapters 1 through 15, right? Uh, you remember the story of Hannah, she's without child, she prays, Lord give me a son, Lord give me a son, Lord give me a son, the Lord says, I'll give you a son, and, and so she literally leaves the hospital, she weans him off, and she gives him to the Lord. It's like, here, God, he's yours. Takes him to the temple, drops him off. And, and, and this is where her son that she prayed for for so long, this is where he was raised up, in the temple of the Lord. Now, parents, 
Don't be getting any ideas. All right, we don't want you to drop your kids off here for us to raise them because that's, that's, that's certainly not going to happen the same way it did with, with Samuel. But Samuel goes on to become this prophet. He hears the Lord calling. And the God's got a message for him. I'm going to use you. And so Samuel is this amazing prophet that hears directly from the Lord and communicates it to the people. Well, the people are people. You know, I got to go on vacation last week or a couple, two weeks ago, we're down in Mexico, and it was vacation. I told you the difference between trips and vacations and all that kind of stuff, but it, it, it's put on for ministers to be there, right? And so when you get ministers together, you know what they ask? How's your church? How's your church? How's your church? And I'm just like, man, my church is made up of people who act like people. You know, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's what happens. Some of it's really, really good. A lot of it's really, really great. And then they just act like people the rest of the time. And people are going to be like people. And that's certainly the case right here. These people that Samuel is delivering direct messages to from God, they wanted a king. Now, God wasn't enough for them. The people wanted to be like all the other nations. All the other nations have an earthly king. We want to be just like them. And clearly there was nobody to say, well, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you want to jump off the bridge too? Clearly there was nobody to give them that wisdom that my parents gave to me, right? And so what did people do? They griped, they whined, they complained, and that was on repeat. They did it again. And finally, God knew, Samuel knew that just because everyone else is doing it, it's not a good idea, all right? But the people just kept going. And the Israelites had the sovereign Lord of the universe, the king of the universe, as their king. And they want a man. And so you, as parents, understand what's happening. God's heard this. And he's heard it enough that he's like, all right, I'm just going to give you what you want. And then we're going to let you deal with the consequences from getting what you want. And so that's what happens. God approves for there to be a king. And so you enter the first king of Israel. And this guy was tall. I mean, that's what the Bible says. He was tall. He was a head taller than everybody else. And he was handsome. He was also, at the very beginning anyway, he was humble. Okay, and, and the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and God gave him a new heart. Because, see, that's what happens in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us, the, the, the Spirit would just come upon people, right? And, and there would be this radical change that would take place in their lives. And as long as they kept staying on track, as long as they, the trajectory of, of whatever was going on was honoring God, then, man, it was, it was always good. It was good. But as soon as pride steps in the way, God's like, nope, not repentant. I'm pulling my spirit from you. And so Saul wakes up one morning. There's some livestock that belongs to his family, and it's wandered off. And so Saul's father says, go find the livestock. Go get them. And so Saul and one of the servants, they leave. They go out looking for livestock. Saul returns home, king of Israel. 
That's what happened in two days' time. Then the pride and the refusal to repent set in. And, and the Bible is very clear. The Spirit of the Lord left Saul. Not because God was angry at him. Not because God saw the sin in his life. It was because he would refuse to admit the wrong and he refused to repent and turn back to God. And so the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul and he became increasingly troubled, it says, and extremely bitter. But then God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. And, and, and Samuel's like, oh, I'm already 0 for 1. I can't have two strikes against me. No, thank you. And, and God gives these instructions to Samuel. Hey, take a, take a sacrifice. Let them know you're coming in peace. And let them know that you're coming for me. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read this together. Um, follow along. It'll come up on the screen. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. <clears throat> people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. All right, so there's a couple things um, that God's really put on my heart this morning that, that I want to share with you as we're developing out this series. It, it really started with this text and the beginning of what we know about David. And the first thing is this, all right? First, we cannot fall for the trap that Samuel fell for based on societal norms, right? We, we can't do it. Samuel was in awe of Saul. He's tall. He's handsome. This man stands apart based on his physical appearance. And now he rolls into Jesse's clan. He shows up at the house and he says, I'm here to anoint the next king. It's one of your sons. I don't know which one, so just bring them all out. So we bring out the oldest. He comes out. Samuel. Yep, that's the one. That, that's surely this is him. Look at him. He's also tall. He's also, he's also humble. I mean, he's also handsome. Right? And, and, and Samuel is impressed with the appearance. This is king material. And the Lord looks at Samuel. I don't look at the things 
people look at. Look at the heart. And since the beginning of time, man seems to always focus on the outward appearance. We go to great lengths to make it look like we have our lives all together. We can fight in the car for 16 miles on the way to church. We can be screaming and crying and there can be the gnashing of teeth taking place on the way to church. We get out of the car. We straighten up our shirt a little bit. We dry our tears. We walk in and we, oh, it's good. Yeah, I'm good. Oh, everything's just so great. We go to great lengths to put on this facade that everything in my life is okay. And Samuel comes rolling on the scene, and what is he impressed with? The exterior. He is impressed with the physical appearance. And here's the thing. We may not be the prettiest. All right, JW's already called me good looking today. We may not be the prettiest or the most ravishing in looks, but let me tell you what we do. We strive to make sure that when you see me, when you engage me in conversation, man, I've got my stuff together. I've got my life together, at least on the exterior. God's like, I don't care what's going on the outside. I'm concerned with the heart. See, that was Saul's downfall. His pride kept him from admitting the wrong and repenting before the Lord. It was what was going on on the inside of Saul that led to the Spirit leaving him. It's not coming up on the screen, but listen to Jesus' words. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Who are these people? These are the people that are parading before the everyday person. We're the smarter ones. We're the more intelligent ones. We have the most Bible knowledge because we have the scrolls and you don't have the scrolls. We can study those things. Woe to you, teachers of the law. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Y'all know my coffee cup, right? I've got my own special life for each coffee cup. It's set apart from all the rest of you, only because I never wash it. It grosses a couple of people out. Um... It's so bad that when I was in Zimbabwe with my coffee cup, the ladies that were taking care of us saw how dirty it was, and they're like, that's gross, we're washing it. So I'm in a third world country, and I like disgusted the people who saw my coffee cup. Um, now, here's what I do, though, okay? When I say I don't wash it, I, I do wash it. I, I clean the outside just to make sure there's no coffee stains dribbling down the side of it. That's just kind of disgusting, and I don't want to get that mess anywhere else. So the inside, it's just like stained. It's not stainless steel. It's stained coffee steel is what it is. And, and there, is no, there is no getting it out. That, that's what we do right here. We worry about the outside. Because I don't want y'all to see that I have a dirty coffee cup, right? I mean, golly, that's, that's whoa. He goes on, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. 
You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's what's going on here when God says, I don't look at the same things that people do because people are impressed with what's on the outside. I'm concerned on what's on the inside. What's the inside, church? What's it looking like for you? Are you whitewashing the tombs of your life to make it all look beautiful on the outside? while your heart is full of deceit or bitterness or envy or judgment or apathy or whatever you can put in there? Is that what's going on on the inside of your life? But on the outside, everything is okay. And as we're going to see in the weeks to come, David is one messed up dude. There's much going on in his life once he becomes the most powerful and influential person in the land at the time. There are things that he does that you and I would think this would disqualify him from being a central figure in God's story. If we're looking at people who get it, we would look at his life and say, you know what, this guy's got a lot going on for him, but man, he misses it here, 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 and here. But what makes David, David? David is the, it's the fact that he was willing to acknowledge the errors on the inside, the wrong on the inside. He was willing to acknowledge the wrongdoing in his life and he was to repent of those sins with humility in his life. And when he's confronted of it, let me tell you, he's all about justice. And then it's turned on him. He sees the error of his ways and he falls before the Lord. He even goes on to write, this isn't coming up on the screen either, I just want you to listen to it. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139. I've closed this service out many times with praying this prayer. David got to the place in his relationships that he was so concerned about the inside, about what God was seeing on the inside, he gave God full access. Hey, God, here's, here's who I am. I'm opening up my chest. Here's my heart. Here's the core of who I am, my thoughts. Search me and point out anything to me, God, that gets in the way of this relationship. Point out anything that is offensive to you and lead me in the way of everlasting. You pray in that prayer. You go on before the Lord. You're saying, Lord, man, my, my life's open to you. You point out the air of my heart and I will change Lord if it's offensive to you the second thing from this 
introductory encounter with David. It, it actually doesn't take place within this text, to be honest with you, okay? Um, but it takes place over the next 15 years of David's life. David is anointed to become king of Israel in front of his brothers. Picture this now, okay? First off, Samuel shows up, all right? I'm here to anoint one of your sons as king. And father of the year, Jesse says, all right, well, let me get six of the seven out here, all right? And we're going to march those through. And one after another, the six come through, and God's like, nope, 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 nope. And there's Jesse. He's like, golly, I thought surely it'd be one of these. It can't be the runt. And Samuel's like, you got any more sons? Because, I mean, God said it's one of your sons. You, maybe you don't have a son. Maybe you got a son you don't know about, right? And, and he's like, yeah, I got one. He's out in the field. Samuel's like, hey, we're not sitting down. We're not, we're not even going to sit down until he's here. And, of course, they go get him. They send a servant. He comes up. And right away, God's like, that's the one. And so Samuel, now picture this. This is you. You're the runt. And you've got, you got six brothers and probably some other siblings there. Your dad's there, who just forgot you, by the way. Jesse, I'm sure kept that a secret. And you get anointed to be king. You are the next king of Israel. <laughs> Let me tell you what's happening with my siblings if that happens to Michael. <laughs> right? It, from that point on, it is round-the-clock competition who is going to buy my loyalty. Which one of my siblings is going to be bringing me stuff and serving me? They're going to be jockeying for you know, who, who gets to be my first, you know, my first mate, that official, that most important official. They're, they're, they're trying to find place in my kingdom. That's what Michael's doing. It's not what David does. It's not what he does at all. You know what he does? He goes back to watching and protecting sheep. Why is that important? Here's the thing, church. God uses the day-to-day -day task. He uses the day-to-day, -day ordinary, routine events, the challenges of life, to prepare us for greater works. And for 15 years, think about this. For 15 years, from the time Samuel announced to the clan of Jesse that David would be the next king, it was 15 years before he actually took that position. You know what he did in between? I love our sermon team. They, they helped me out with this a couple weeks with some of the research. We sat around and we talked about it. Here's just some of the stuff we know that he did for the next 15 years. Number one, I just said it, he served his father, who is now technically his subordinate, by tending the sheep. I'm going to go back out there and be a shepherd. I'm going to go out there and sleep in the, in the pasture. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to just lay with livestock. That's what I'm going to do. He goes on to serve King Saul as a musician because remember, the spirit had left Saul. Saul's troubled. He can't sleep at night. So they're like, hey, there's this kid. You know, he's from the clan of Jesse. We'll bring him in here. He's quite the musician. 
he'd come over here and he'll play the harp and the lyre and the flute and all that kind of stuff. And he'll, 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 he'll basically, he'll hopefully drown out and distract you enough with his musical abilities that, that you can sleep. So that's going on. King Saul, he's serving the current king who's not even going to be in power. When David faces Goliath, he's like, who's that kid right there? Uh, that's the guy that puts you to sleep every night. We know that he faced and killed Goliath. We know that, that he goes on to become a warrior fighting in Saul's army. He became the enemy of Saul. Always on the run. Hiding out from him in caves. This is the next king. We know that he served his brothers when they have gone off to war. And, and, and I'll show you this next week, but he was going back and forth. Jesse says, here, take the cheese, take the bread, take it to them. And he would, he would take it to them while they're at war with the Philistines, and then he would go back. Where would he go back? Straight to, the, straight to the fields to take care of the sheep. And then he would go back. He went back and forth, back and forth, serving his brothers, taking care of sheep, serving his brothers, taking care of sheep. The king in waiting did not think too highly of himself to take the role of servant while he waited on God's timing. And here's the thing. This is all just everyday, normal stuff. It's nothing out of the ordinary. Church, do not overlook the day-to-day -day task that seem monotonous at times. We, we can't do it. How we view and treat these opportunities is critical for the growth that God desires in our lives as you and I strive to become like Jesus. And, and I'll tell you the truth, if you don't hear anything else about this, Satan loves that you become bored with God in the day-to-day. -day. He loves it. He loves it that you become comfortable doing the same thing over and over again, and it's just routine. Because he knows what's happening in your life. He knows that these things are just regular old routine stuff that your level of comfort increases. And apathy with your relationship with the Lord sets in. Now look at David's life, and I look at this. I think here's a man that leveraged the day-to-day -to, -day to prepare him for greater things. Church, do you see the routine of life as opportunities to honor God? Do you see that? You know, I was, I was studying this. The Apostle Paul gives some instruction to the church of, of Colossae as it pertains to working for others, right? Like, it, there's, there's, this, there's this mindset that Paul says that whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for humans. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. Are you going through the day-to-day -day task? Are you going through the nine-to-fives that you have? And are you using this opportunity as an opportunity to not work for your boss, not work for your company, not work for your shareholders, but to work for the Lord? Do you get out of bed and go to work thinking, I just got to do this all over again? 
or you get out of bed and say, here's another opportunity for me to honor God with my efforts. Hey, what about your quiet time? What about that personal time with God? David wrote most of the Psalms while he was out watching sheep. God revealed a lot of things to him because the power of the Lord came on him, it says. Hey, do you give up on your quiet time because, you know, you don't experience some grand revelation every single day? You know, those moments where you're sitting there and it's like, okay, I just don't even know what I read. I don't even remember what I read. Here's the thing, church, when, we, when we're faithful with little things, and I'm pretty sure Jesus told a story about this, when we're faithful with the little things, the routine things, more will be given to us. And David was faithful with the little things for 15 years. And the routine of life prepared him for some, not all. The routine of life prepared him for some of the giants and the battles that he would face. You're going to see that in the weeks to come. Now, for you guys, just a little FYI. God's not preparing any of you to be the next king of his people. Okay, Just, just take that off the list. He's not preparing you for that. Uh, that role has been filled with King Jesus came to earth. Okay, He's the guy. But he's preparing you for something. Hey, there's going to be some battles that you will face that the day-to-day routine that is your norm can very well be the preparation field. If you go into this stuff with humility and you desire to honor God with all of these things just like David did, it can prepare you. Your prayer life, your quiet time, how you serve, how you treat other people, the effort you put into work, those things can be preparing you right now for something greater that you might have to face. See, everything, church, is a step of faith for us as it was David. Tending the smelly, messy sheep every day and the attitude that he had to go out and accomplish that task, step of faith. Standing up to the the bears or the lions that would attack. Step of faith. Being disheartened by the army that would not protect the name of God in the face of a giant. And saying, I will go and I will attack this foe who speaks negatively about the sovereign Lord of the universe. Step of faith. Writing poems about our affection for and need for God. That was a step of faith. How to handle the temptation of something that catches our eye on another rooftop. Step of faith. Church, the battles are won by how we approach the day-to-day routine in our relationship with the Lord. Father, I pray right now
for our congregation. I pray for the journey that we are on personally with you. Father, I pray that you will search our hearts right now. Know our hearts. Lord, I pray that you test us and you know our anxious thoughts, Father. And God, if there is anything offensive in me, Father, I pray that this will be pointed out and you will lead me in, you will lead us in the everlasting God. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.